Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Guru Podcast, where we feature insights from artists and professionals of color. On today's podcast, we'll have a conversation with artist, musician, and author Javier Barrios. Today, he joins us to discuss his debut dark fantasy novel, Tenebris, The Unholy Darkness. It's his take on the story of creation. So stay tuned for another informative and entertaining episode of the Urban Guru Podcast. So we have you. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk to you, besides knowing you for, for well, several years, um, is that you have a new book out. And yes. the name of the book is? Uh, Tenebris, The Unholy Darkness. And what genre is that? Just tell us a little bit about your book. Uh, it's uh, like dark fantasy adventure. So Tenebris uh, depicts uh, an alternate version of Earth, starting with a, a twist on the classic uh, creation mythology. And uh, it follows a, a group of ancient reptilian beings who are forced to uh, flee their home and find uh, a new world, a, a promised land mm -hmm. of sorts. And... Um, you know, once they uh, once they're there, uh, they have to come to terms with the fact that they are not alone in existence, and it becomes uh, a tale of corruptions of power, uh, the corruption of uh, religion, uh, greed, mm -hmm. which is kind of the fallout of what these uh, pillars um, can do to a society. Wow! And having um, read it, it's like it's a very layered. <laughs> story mm -hmm. um there's a lot of things involved in just in your answer so we're going to unpack all of that eventually but just listening to you one of the first things i wanted to ask you is i also see that you are you say you are a writer at heart or a poet at heart yes. so tell us a little bit how did your writing journey begin did you always write were you writing from a young age where you once sit in class and you wrote stories in the background tell us a little bit about yep. that Yes, so um, pretty much uh, as uh, early as I could put pen to paper, I've been telling stories. I have faint memory of drawing like little doodles and going to my family and telling them the story in the in the drawings. And you know, as I got older and learned to write, I'll draw pictures with you know maybe like a one sentence caption underneath, and you know, so on and so forth until I was just you know, writing words. It's always just been a, a calling or a passion uh, to just tell tell stories. And I specifically remember at a young age watching Stephen King's uh, Pet Cemetery. And I remember uh, there's the uh, funeral scene where Stephen King makes a cameo and he's like uh, uh, the pastor. Uh, and my brother, uh, my brother Daniel pointed out to me like, oh, that's Stephen King. He wrote the book for this movie. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's so cool. Like he writes the books and he's in the movies. Uh, and I think it's kind of like from there where um, I got into my head that I I want to do that. I, I want to uh, write stories. Um, you know, I would love to make movies and be in it or something. Uh, as a kid, the idea was I want to become Stephen King. And now that I'm older, I want to be, you know, something different than that. But I mean, that is the uh, original spark. That's fantastic. And, and those original stories, so they were just like little short stories. Were you dabbling and trying to do your own little comics or and what was your family's response when you would uh, present these things to them? 
you know, I don't know. Um, I don't exactly remember, you know, like I'm sure they were like encouraging and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, it's uh, cute. You know, he's drawing something. He's excited about this. So they're all very in encouraging about that. There's only one in particular I remember. And it's because I, I have it somewhere in my closet. It was called the uh, Green Ostrich, which is kind of like your traditional story of um, you know a character who's kind of different and you know an outcast because of that and then you know moral of the story is it doesn't matter what you look like um you know kind of thing i think it was taking the idea of like green eggs and ham that's why the ostrich is green or something i not sure <laughs> so it sounds like from an early age you were into ex expression being yourself maybe oh yeah one of your early inspirations then where you wanted to be like Stephen King. Now, you said you watched Pet Cemetery. Did you actually read any of his books when you were younger? I guess the same story. I do remember um, um, my brother Daniel reading Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery to me uh, as a kid. Mm -hmm. Not the whole thing, but he read some of it. It wasn't until I got much older where I started reading his books. Uh, I know the very first one I read was Cujo when I was in the seventh grade. Mm -hmm. I did a little project on that one. Uh, I've always loved writing and I've always loved books. Um, it was definitely not until an older age where I actually started getting into um, reading them specifically. Mm -hmm. I, I know I used to, uh, you know, have a lot of fun as a kid going to the library and uh, checking out all these books that I would never read, but I always like just having them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, at, at that early age, I was, uh, you know, going through all the Stephen King, you know, uh, fandom by watching all the movies. And mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, once I got into my 20s, I started reading those books. I already loved the movie. And then, like, you get almost like the director's cut in a way. It's just more content. I guess the writer's uh, cut. <laughs> <laughs> and I happen to know, since you were watching Stephen King and you said you wanted to be Stephen King, that you dabbled in video production and uh, yes. how to do that uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yeah. that yeah so um i guess part of like my writing journey um you know I, I, as a kid i had always wanted to write and um i know my dad was uh like encouraging in a way of you know um he wanted me to express myself and uh, I know in middle school there was a, a book that I was trying to write which every time I wrote different scenes I'd always read it to him uh, but um, overall I know he would rather me have um, aspirations to do something more traditional you know and so I had it in my head that uh, being a, an author was uh, you know kind of like a fantasy almost like uh, you know becoming like a Hollywood movie star or something uh, and so I disregarded that dream for uh, quite a few years in high school. And in 10th grade, I had the um, chance to go out, out of my school to the Arlington Career Center, which uh, I took um, the uh, class for TV productions. And I really enjoyed it. It was, it was easy. It was fun. Uh, and it was something I could do. And so I kind of focused on that for a while, took TV productions too. Uh, my senior year, I took it a third time, but since there wasn't a third um, installation of that class, um, I was given an internship, and uh, that's how I ended up meeting you. Yes, um, my yeah, deep dark was, secret. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's um, it was a really good time, and for a while, I was thinking that that was what I was gonna do. Um, you know, it uh, seemed like a very easy uh, career choice, and um 
I had fun with it and it was very easy for me. Um, and I, I was pretty good at it. And then just at some point, my, my passions weren't, I guess, there. And I remember coming to you and telling you how I wanted to, um, uh, I guess, stop working with AETV because it's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that's when you started uh, digging into, um, well, what is it that I want to do, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'm pretty sure I told you the the story of being a little kid uh, telling these stories. And mm-hmm. you said the very simple but um, igniting thing of um, it sounds like you're supposed to be a writer. And um, it's kind of take, taken my life since then um, in the best of ways. Um, yeah. Be careful of advice you give to people, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, though, those are those were interesting days. And, and, and of course, what, what you're talking about is for a time I worked with third level students, like you mm-hmm. said, who had taken the first level TV classes. So they would do the internship full year with me. Yeah, I remember the conversation and it's like, yeah, you really sounded like you wanted to be a writer. Now, I also know that you were also dabbling in music, too. Yes. Uh, And that's, you know, storytelling in a different medium. Mm -hmm. I am a big fan of uh, music of all kinds. I remember wanting to play electric guitar because everyone wants to play electric guitar and I remember telling my friend Jerry like oh I, w- I want to like I saved up some money let's go and buy a guitar and he told me like no everyone wants to be guitarists when it comes down to uh, make a band no one has a basis you should do bass Sixteen, seventeen years later, I've still been playing the bass, <laughs> um, and it was fun. I remember with a couple of my high school friends, uh, you know, trying to form a band, and we were um, wanting to form something of a grunge band. We had a, a lead guitarist, a rhythm guitarist, um, a, a singer, and uh, me as the bassist, and I was writing some of the lyrics. was the um, rhythm guitarist of that project, or that idea, I guess. <laughs> you can't even call it a project. Um, he and I, over the years, have you know started uh, trying to form other bands, seeing what works. We tried a psychedelic band um, that we did a song together, and that was essentially it from that, until eventually we just uh, started working together. Um, you know, him playing guitar, me singing. It's it's been a decade-long journey since then. Twilight stars glow in the trees. A little green light spot on me. Was in middle of summer on a crazy night when I saw these creatures taking flight. I've written plenty of songs together and. have uh, some big big ideas coming up soon what you are you're a creator you're a writer yeah you express yourself through different like you said different mediums it's either writing songwriting 
playing an instrument. You even did it, like you said, with the, with the video. You were you're a really good videographer. So yeah, you're a creative person. You're a creative soul. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I don't know um, how much stock you can put into uh, zodiac signs or whatever, but I'm a Sagittarius, which uh, I guess is supposed to be you know artistic or creative. Uh, and I'm definitely um, an artist, you know, at heart. Which you know, you know, any medium in that form. Mm -hmm. I enjoy, you know, I take a lot of passion in. And I, I'm, I'm curious, and you, and you kind of hinted at it, but just talking about the different types of ways of expressing yourself, have you found yourself combining the art forms or expressions together? Uh, about three years ago, I started um, developing my, my drawing skills more. Because uh, I've always enjoyed drawing, but never been happy with um, the level of uh, drawing I could do. So I've uh, been working on that a lot. And at some point I like realized like, why am I just drawing all these random creatures that I'm drawing where I could be drawing stuff that are specific to Tenebris. And mm -hmm. from there I started practicing drawing the, the Serpanoids and, you know, other creatures that might be in there. Um, I guess I know originally I wanted there to be more artwork in uh, this version of Tenebris mm -hmm. um but I don't know I was definitely very eager to have it done um and get it out since I'd been working on it since 2009 2008 um <laughs> and um yeah so there's still there's still mm -hmm. some artwork and mm -hmm. uh I kind of like how I did it with you know just the beginning of each section has some art um but uh, maybe in the this the second one there might be a little more um art involved mm -hmm. in there this is a trilogy, right? A potential trilogy for yeah. sure. A, um, uh, a a duo, because okay. um, yeah, the the story as a whole has been cut in half. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's at least two installations uh, for uh, Tenebris. Here, as you were talking about including more images, I'm with the group here in the Atlanta area, and one of the things we talk about are the different ways and the different medias you can use to help, you know, round out that world of your book. There are all kinds of things you can do. There's all kinds of social media posts. You can do Instagram. You're talking about doing pictures and stuff like that. There are all kinds of different ways that you can now put ancillary materials out that go along with your books. So even for this current one, it's still possible to have images and stuff out there that's attached to it. So it's, it's yeah. a really good time to be particularly an independent creator. Are you an outliner and a planner? Or are you a pantser? Do you like to jump in and just start writing and see where it goes? Or are you a mixture of both? I, I'm now becoming a mixture of both. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm definitely more of a uh, pantser than uh. an outliner. Um, I, uh, I'm a very uh, uh, like chaotic person. You know, I, um, I like to just do things. And um, it's, it's kind of difficult for me to set the certain boundaries of sitting down, doing an outline, and uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, it uh, kind of uh, makes it harder for me to uh, get the vision, which is um, kind of ironic. <laughs> uh, but I have found with um, how long it's taken me to write uh, The Unholy Darkness, 
that uh, when I started putting all the documents together, since I wrote basically each chapter, each section separately, and once it came down to, all right, I needed to have it all in one document and read it all the way through to figure out the continuity of little details. Uh, and what helped me with that was doing a table of contents. And for each chapter, just doing like a quick sentence of what I want to happen or what should be happening within that chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's definitely uh, what I'm using for my next uh, novel, uh, that idea. And even um, I'm also working on a, a book of an anthology of uh, horror stories that I'm trying to finish up soon. Um, mm -hmm. And what's helped me with that is doing the table of contents mm -hmm. of like, here are ideas of stories. So every now and then when I want to write something, but not specifically work on a project I already have open, I just go to that table of contents, mm -hmm. read the titles, and it's like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to work on this one today. Mm -hmm. I guess it's more like writing prompts in a way. Uh, just like, <laughs> here's a quick uh, here's a quick uh, name for a story. You haven't written anything about this, but this potentially could be a story. So later on, go that and like, oh, yeah, I like that. Let me work on this. It's interesting that even as a pantser, somebody who likes to dive in, you've you've come around for yourself with coming around to what you said are writing prompts. And I, I, like I said, I like the fact that you use that term because that's basically what I do. I mm -hmm. I guess you can call me more of an outliner, but what I do is more what you just said. I'll have the idea for the book. I'll come up with you know roughly how many chapters is going to be in there, and I basically do like a short paragraph or not paragraph just a sentence or two of what i feel should happen in this chapter yeah. and so when i sit down to write like you said those are my writing prompts and of course things change but as things change then i go and i change the remaining ones until i just finish that first draft i i've been there before <laughs> my my second book i decided to not do it that way and just write and i found out that i had like three different stories so i had to push a whole bunch of stuff out and just keep one. So I've always, I know for myself, I'm more like you said, I have to have the writing prompts, some kind mm. of loose idea for where I'm going to go. So when I sit down, that kind of does it for me. And then I'm free to do what I want to do. And if I need to make changes as I go along, I make changes. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I know for the longest time I wrote Tenebris um, in a linear fashion of like, okay, I'm starting at the beginning. And I'm just going to write until the end. And that's how I've always written things, uh, which um, does take a lot more time because um, there's definitely certain scenes that I'm really eager to, to work on, but that's not going to happen much later into the story. Mm -hmm. And um, I, uh, my you know, my mentor had uh, put it really uh, in a really good way of, well, if this is what you want to write uh, now, why don't you write it now? Uh, and you know, so I then started doing that. That's how I started just, mm -hmm. you know, writing, skipping around in the timeline. Uh, and I feel like the integrity of the work is better that way because mm -hmm. that's you know my passions in that part of the story. Mm -hmm. So I should work on that first. Um, and I know when I was in middle school working on a uh, what I wanted to be my first book uh, was like a Greek mythology inspired thing. Uh, it took me about five years to write, but yeah, it took me a long time to write. It was mostly like, I kept getting into writer's block of like, oh, I'm not sure where to go from here. I don't know where to go from here. And, um, you know, now doing in this style of just 
working on different chapters and then eventually putting it together um, definitely seems to help speed up that process mm -hmm. or avoid the uh, the writer's block. Yeah, I've, I've taught the writing classes and screenwriting classes. And it's like one of the biggest things is that writer's block. And again, for me, being slightly more of an outliner, I find that having those prompts ready. It's much easier for me to sit down when, during a writing session and go with that mm -hmm. prompt as opposed to get to the writing session and not, like you said, not know where you want to go. And so for me, having just, like you said, even that rough table of contents outline writing prompts is one way for me to keep the writer's block from really happening. At least I can get a first draft out. And we're going to get into the book, particularly with the mythology and the religion and things like that. Um, but how did you first start with this book? Well, uh, I've, I've mentioned, I guess, that I've always wanted to write a book. Uh, and I know, like, let's see, when I was in fifth grade, it was my first attempt of writing a book, which um, was really just like a few paragraphs, maybe a couple pages. Um, is called uh, Symbiotes, which was essentially a big ripoff of Night of the Creeps or uh, uh, was it um, or Slither, I guess, if um, people are from my generation and don't know 80s uh, pop culture. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that, you know, didn't go anywhere. And then uh, in middle school, I tried doing like this Greek mythology type thing, which, uh, as I mentioned, took several years to do. Oh, as far as I could remember, there was a, a story that I used to uh, just think of, of these um, these humanoid beings that had the features of snakes or uh, specifically cobras. Uh, and they were kind of like the disciples of the devil or as time went on, they weren't, you know, disciples of the devil, but like a different uh, faction of creatures in hell. Um, and then I'll just over the many years, I've always like, you know, um, thought more about that, involved it more. And by the time I got to ninth grade in high school, I remember seeing the movie Kingdom of Heaven for the first time. And uh, it was kind of like, hey, you're always trying to like write a book and you keep starting these books that you have no idea what you want to do with them. Um, there's that one story that you think of just about every single night of like your entire life. Why don't you uh, do that, you know, and kind of make it in the crusade style. And so uh, that's how uh, Tenebris, that's how the Unholy Wars first uh, came into being. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, uh, and that's what the original title of this story was. Um, I changed it from the Unholy Wars because um, I guess eventually I decided I wanted to split the story in two. I thought it would be less intimidating for a new author to sell a smaller book than a big chunky one. <laughs> and uh, so I split into two and I can't call it the Unholy Wars since the war itself doesn't start until the second book. Mm -hmm. um, I believe um, bouncing these ideas off with uh, with you at one point, um, you told me to look up the, um, how you know, how do you say Latin in dark or how do you say darkness in Latin? Uh, so I looked that up and it's Tenebris, which is a pretty neat, cool title. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of what the umbrella, uh, that's how the umbrella of Tenebris came for this slash these stories. Because mm -hmm. uh, I definitely would like to at some point, if uh, even if I don't do a, a, a third uh, unholy book, 
I would really like to do maybe something of an anthology book of, you know, different perspectives in the different timelines within the world that I am creating here. Uh, and so I can just keep using the, the name Tenebris to um, kind of mm -hmm. add more things onto there. One of the things I find interesting is the fact that you're dealing with mythology, you're dealing with religion, um, you're de dealing with the idea of heaven and hell, and a lot of people's concept of heaven and hell, and what does it, what what a devil is, what fallen angels, all of these things, even the nature of God. And so I'm really curious because <laughs> I, I know you mentioned inspiration from movies and definitely, I guess most people may or may not realize it, but horror movies have a lot of metaphysical content in them. Oh yeah. Um, Sci-fi and fantasy also, but horror seems to have a lot in there, particularly with certain um, filmmakers who tend to know it and put those things in there. Where do you think that inspiration came from and where did your um knowledge of all these things come from because like you said you're heavy in the mythology and religion in in this book so where did all of that knowledge come from well um as a uh, as a kid i was raised a uh, catholic uh very uh traditional for um you know us uh hispanic uh, americans uh um catholicism does really control um most of our countries and um I remember finding it curious um, that uh, Lucifer, the who is you know depicted as this like the most gorgeous angel of all the angels, so divine, is also the exact same character as the devil, who is depicted in a completely different uh, visual of like this monstrous beast, usually like horned, um, you know, sometimes like hooved. But uh, or, you know, hoof feet creature, um, and I always liked thinking that, like, well, why is the devil and Lucifer the same person? Yet there's these two different depictions of them, and you know, maybe possibly they are two different entities that, mm -hmm. um, you know, through time, the way how storytelling works, have just been morphed into the same one. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what if uh, hell? had two different uh, rulers you know and they were these two you know the beastie beastial creature of the devil quote unquote or you know and then also this divine angelic uh being lucifer what if they both were in control of hell of hell or the underworld and that's mm -hmm. kind of one of the foundations of the story is um taking some of those uh biblical elements and I guess digging more into it, um, I know the Bible doesn't really speak much about hell, and pretty sure the most of what we as a whole think of hell comes from Dante's Inferno and not at, from actual, like, religious texts. Um, so, you know, I try, you know, try to make my own version of, of that uh, with using, you know, some of the ideas that people have already put into place, um, you know, like the uh, traditional um, visual of hell being this fiery, uh, um, desolate wasteland, which, um, you know, very interestingly was what 
our world looked like at one point in time. So there's that 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 deeper um, cosmology, <laughs> if you want to say yeah. you you did grow up um, Catholic, so you had that religious background. Um, yeah. And then from there, you just had, you just started asking questions. How long, young were you when you started wondering about these things? Um, pretty young. I I was definitely in elementary school. I I remember. Maybe when I was in fourth grade, uh, one of my brothers, Fernando, started to become a Jehovah's Witness, which is a little more involved um, of a sector of the Christian faith. Um, and so he specifically would have these like little Bible studies with me, which um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of funny because it just gave me more questions because it, um, I guess it changed from here's the you know catholic bible and now here's the jehovah's witness bible and it helped me as a i don't know an intellectual to start seeing the holes in um what religion um has i guess and that's also a theme of tenebris is um you know why why do we have religion uh you know if you look more into it a, a lot of it seems to point fingers towards uh having um you know a higher rule over the, the lesser and um that's a big point that i'm trying to flesh out into numerous of you know the the dangers of of having religion where like it's nice and it can bring hope it can bring uh, people um a sense of belonging um but then on a greater scale what what else does it do you know you know i mentioned how um the uh you know latin america is heavily uh influenced by catholicism which um is kind of odd if you think about it since the um you know original beings the original people of those worlds the aztecs the mayas the incans they uh you know all worshiped um nature they worship the sun they worship the sky and it's so strange that us um of a people that came from something which was a lot more grounded uh, to now where like these very like strictly devoted, like, no, no, you have to uh, go to church. You're supposed to like do this, do that. Uh, but uh, it just doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why would I want to, uh, you know, follow my uh, oppressors? Why, why do I want the uh, colonizers to be um, giving me this insight of, you know, first they're going to tell me I'm savage, I'm dirty, you know, I'm worthless. And it's like, oh, but I'll be, but, you know, God will save me if, if I read this stuff, which like, you know, it's, uh, seems like a very, um, um, for an entity like this God, it seems very micromanagey for, yeah, a being that has so much power. Like why, uh, why, why would they care what, what I do with the world they've given me? And, you know, it's, um, it's very interesting. Um. Because, you know, there's um, materials coming out. Um, I talked with the, with another author about this. There, you know, books, original source documents. There you go. Um, from people who came over here, Spanish, Portuguese, whatever. And they documented what they saw and what they encountered when they got here. And it speaks to what you just said about the religions, um, the level of technology, the level mm -hmm. of knowledge. They were shocked by some of the things and they recorded it all. 
But so many of those things are now being made available because they're being scanned. They're being put on archives. You can go, you can purchase them, PDFs. You can get downloads. And you can go and see what they saw when they first came here before all of that was kind of like, you know, put away. And it kind of goes yeah. to what you were saying. There were well-developed languages, people, cultures. There were even evidences of older, more advanced cultures in the Americas. But that didn't fit what was going to be done later. So they just kind of had to put that away. And like you said, they're bringing in a different uh, way of worship, which is probably derivative of what you had anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. So they're kind of taking it and bringing it back to you. And it's the same discussion that's gone on with um, um, Pan-Africanists and, and people like that. Different nations in Africa have a concept of one God and stuff like that before the Europeans came. Did they or were they bringing stuff back that we already had in the same? So it's really interesting. I think it's an exciting time for writers, particularly if you have a heritage that is from some of those countries. There's a rich history that's waiting for writers to bring to life. There's no reason that you can't have something that's just as grand or even grander than Game of Thrones or Lord of the right. Rings. But it's all set there. It's all set here. It's all set there. And that's that big thing that's going on now with people talking about all the stories that have been told. It's like, no, they haven't been told, <laughs> you know? So it's it's, it's very interesting that, that, that you um, mentioned that. Well, yeah, my, um, a, a thing my dad used to always say was um, the, uh, you know, the, the Mayans were um, studying the stars while the Europeans were learning how to use utensils uh, kind of thing. Uh, and it's like something I always thought was funny, but the older I got and the more I learned of like our history, mm -hmm. um, I was just like, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe these people were, uh, um, scared or, you know, it's just, here's, um, you know, coming to a new world or here's, you know, they, with a people that may or may not have a greater knowledge of what's happening and, you know, uh, what do most uh, people do when they are um, confronted with something they don't know? They uh, want to bring it down. And, you know, I guess I guess it makes sense, you know, let's destroy what uh, advancements are there and put in what we have, uh, you know, what they have instead. Um, but um, I guess, you know, on like a slight aside, um, there's the uh, new uh, Wakanda Forever movie. Um, which uh, features uh, Namor, uh, and not as an Atlantean, but uh, from a specific group of Mayan, uh, the uh, Talokan, um, which I guess is like a un like kind of like an, a a water based underworld. Um, and I absolutely loved having um, the Mayan like people represent represented in such a real way on a huge you know. Um, Hollywood major motion picture. Um, I thought it was phenomenal and it was a really great way for the majority of the world to kind of see what what we went through because mm -hmm. that's not a story that's told very much. Yeah, it, it really is. But you know, the thing I found odd was that they didn't just go ahead and let Namor be Atlantean because believe it or not, many of the early Europeans thought Atlantis was located over here in that mm -hmm. area and so that's why i found it very odd that they decided not to let him be from atlantis but europeans themselves actually speculated i think plato actually speculated that atlantis was here that he had a great navigation mm -hmm. university 
there's a sea change I feel like that's coming. And that's why I'm so excited for, for, for young writers like you who have a connection, a heritage, a lineage, that all of this stuff is finally coming out and it's just begging for stories to be set and told. You talked about your inspiration. You have a lot of inspirations. <laughs> I'm, I'm very easily inspired. I don't know. I'm a, you know, I have a big soul and just, you know, find a inspiration in a lot, even something as simple as uh, just looking outside the window. Well, well, let me ask you this. And I think you kind of covered it, but what do you hope to accomplish with this book? What What's the message that you want people to receive? Well, you know, definitely uh, I am trying to um, kind of help people think uh, more about how they uh, view religion. Um, any individual that wants to worship in however they want, that's fine. Um, you know, but uh, I do know a lot of people like pressing that onto other other um, individuals. And, um, you know, kind of the message in the story is like, you know, um, this is what happens when you push your personal views onto um, another people. You know, I'm trying to warn people of that and warn people what the corruption of of power does. Um, you know, which I know. Um, you know, for many years I've been uh, kind of saying a lot of things about how uh, our our country uh, is ran, and a lot of it, you know, people don't really like put too much stock into, but. Um, I guess a silver lining with having um, our like recent president of Donald Trump is it's opened a lot of people's eyes to uh, all the things that I've been saying for years mm. of, you know, like what our leaders are, what they're trying to do, mm. um, you know, and um, there's definitely good people out there that want to lead. Um, but it's just when you're put in such a big position of power, uh, it has drawbacks to it. Yes, it's not like a thing that you can prevent, so to speak, by reading my book, but I feel like it can help, uh, you know, open eyes in a way. Awareness, you know, stimulate thought, which is what happens to you. Your 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 thoughts and your questions are stimulated and you seek answers. So maybe that's what your yeah. book will do for people to cause them to start to think and question. And and I think also like uh, another big thing is um, I I heavily believe in balance and the idea that um, there isn't, uh, I guess speaking of balance, there is no straight, you know, black and white. There is no good versus evil. Uh, and that's kind of like another theme in this story that, um, you know, everyone is doing what they believe is right. Um, you know, each person is their their own hero of their story. And, you know, there's, you know, that's that's good to an extent. Uh, but unfortunately, that does conflict with other people's versions of what they think of what being a hero is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of why I like uh, Star Wars so much, because it, it um, more so the books and uh, like especially like the Clone Wars, anything that's not the movies, I guess, has that really great example of, um, you know, there is no good and evil. It's just kind of your perspective and what you are doing to accomplish that. Mm.
Um, because I know while writing this, I, I had that idea in mind. And as I started working on the antagonist more, I realized like I kind of made the antagonist uh, an underdog in a way. And at first I was a little upset that like, oh, you know, now my, my bad guy isn't so much of a bad guy. But then again, I guess no one is. Uh, and so it became perfect because it helped align more with my own views on mm -hmm. humanity, on life. So is there hope for us? Um, eh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll have to read the second book to see if there's hope. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I really would like to know, we talked before, and I know a little bit about your story, um, the 10-year journey, um, times when yeah. you wanted to give up, but you kept going. So I'm curious, having gone through that yourself, what would you say to new writers who have an idea but who maybe falter put it down for a year or two or more what would you say mm. to these young writers or artists period what would you say to them to encourage them as simple as it is and um you know not to be um um you know spoke person or something but you know really just uh just do it you know um I know uh, it's definitely more difficult than that, but also at the same time, it's just as as simple. Um, there's always a reason there, you know, there's 101 reasons not to do something. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm i not good enough. Uh, there's not enough time. Uh, oh, someone else can do it better. Um, you know, but um, if that if this is what you want to do, you know, why not do it? You know, make, make it happen. There's not enough time, you know, you can always figure out you know, a little bit of time, even if it's just like an hour a day to focus on whatever your passion is. Yeah, but that's uh, like the, the main thing is, you know, not to let your internal doubts uh, cloud you and to just, you know, keep focusing on on your prize of that end goal of whether it's to um, publish a book or record an album, you know, you just got to keep focusing on that. I know I definitely have been uh, thinking that I'd uh, finish this book, uh, you know, in a few months, in a few months. And that took about four years. And a good amount of that time was, you know, just kind of stuck, you know, in the traditional daily grind of, okay, I got to go to work. I'm exhausted from work. Okay, I'm just going to distract myself from this, you know, mundane existence. And like, oh, now I got to go to work again. And, you know, come back and you just keep doing that. And it's like, oh, wait, you know, wasn't I a creative at some point? And, you know, uh... <laughs> but you have the book. It's out. Yeah. It's available. Um, tell people how they can get the book. So uh, it's available on uh, most of the usual platforms of uh, Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Mm -hmm. um, you can also find it on uh, bookshop.org, which, um, you know, they, uh, put proceeds to uh, helping local businesses uh, or local bookshops, I guess, more specifically. Uh, so you can get my book and support uh, some of the little guys that way. For those who are in the uh, DMV area, uh, my book is available at um, uh, onemorepagebooks.com. Uh, they don't have it in stores uh, physically, but you can always uh, order it to be picked up at the store. Mm -hmm. um and, and very soon i'll be at uh the curmudgeon books in uh, glen burnie maryland which is located oh, wow. in uh, marley station <laughs> mall and uh in a couple weeks uh february the 11th i'll be doing a signing there 
Um, mm -hmm. And just a month after that, I'll be at the Barnes and Noble Annapolis uh, March 11th doing a signing okay. there too. Um, you know, easy ways to follow me and see what I'm doing. Uh, I have a link tree, which mm -hmm. is uh, linktr.ee slash ja underscore barrios. Uh, there you can uh, you know follow me on any of the three major platforms of Facebook, mm -hmm. Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, which you, know, you can also find me under barriosbooks at gmail.com under any of those sources as well. Yeah, as far as Barnes and Noble goes, uh, officially I am in two stores physically, one in Virginia and one in Maryland, uh, the Annapolis location of Barnes and Noble and uh, Potomac Yard uh in alexandria virginia mm -hmm. uh which was really cool it's uh i walked into there to uh follow up on an order that they you know had done um and my books were just sitting right there on the shelves it was super <laughs> super cool to finally see that that's that, uh exactly yes. what i've been looking yes. for was uh you know, it's one thing to see it in my hands and that blew my mind. Um, mm -hmm. It still blows my mind. But then the next step was like, all right, now I want to like walk into a store and just see it on the shelf. <laughs> um, and and I, I got to, to do that. So it's uh, pretty good. Well, well, thank you, Javier, for doing the interview. I really appreciate it. And I'll also include all of those links in the description of the podcast so that people, if they want to, they can directly click on them. But thank you and congratulations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, very excited. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Urban Guru Podcast. And of course, you can always find us on iTunes. Just search for Urban Guru and you'll find our podcast listed. You can also listen to this podcast on SoundCloud. Just search for Urban Guru Podcast and you'll be able to find it there too. Thank you again for listening. And remember, no matter whatever your creative endeavor is, always push forward because every step that you take along that path will lead you to your ultimate destination. So I'll see you next time.